I would sing uh, at Christmas time. You would see me. You if you were in my house, you'd see me walking around the house going, "Merry Christmas." To you, but I'd say Barry Christmas instead. <laughs> Barry, <laughs> Barry Christmas. Yeah, I would do that a lot. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a long overdue episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy, Derek, and I'm back. He's back, baby. Derek, it's been it's been man, what uh, four weeks, six weeks, five weeks? It's been yeah, some time. Bro. Yeah, it's been. We have time. been all over the place. You were traveling, I was traveling. Christmas, all that stuff came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a little break. Uh, by the way, Barry Christmas, Derek. What a great, what a great <laughs> story. I love that. I'm. I, I still believe very strongly, Derek. You should make that into a book. I have thought about it. Yes, it's a, uh, one. It's one of the closest. It's one of the most close to my heart creative pursuits of my life. It's Barry Christmas. Derek, so um, I got a little story for you. You remember a couple of weeks back, a couple episodes, shit, maybe like months back, I talked about my smart dishwasher. <laughs> yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Well, I got a story. So, uh-huh. Derek, this dishwasher. I don't know if I ever actually told you about this dishwasher, like all the stuff it had. This was the LG dishwasher, Derek. It was smart. It could, Derek, connect to both Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. Did you know that? I didn't know. It had the dynamic dry enhanced with True Steam, Derek. True Steam. It had the quad wash system. The all four? It it think well, I'm not done. It featured Think technology. Damn. It had the Easy Rack Plus system, Derek. Mm, that sounds it, fun. It had all those things. And then, Derek, do you know what happened? Nope. It broke. Get out of here. It's true. But before it broke, Derek, do you know how many times I used the quad wash, the True Steam, the Easy Rack system? Lots, right? No, not a single time. Oh, shit. Do you know how often I monitor my dish cycle remotely? Lots, right? Never, never. Jeez. Do you know how often I ask Google Assistant to do anything for me? Nah, many times. Nuns. None? Oh, jeez. Yeah, do you know what it did do, Derek? What did it do? Here's what I did. I added the detergent, mm-hmm. set it to auto, I pressed yeah. start, and then went to bed. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It broke, and I could not find anyone to fix this dishwasher. I even contacted LG support and they couldn't find anybody to come out and fix the thing. Can you believe that? That's insane. Yeah. It turns out, Derek, that these high tech dishwashers, they're basically little complex computers that can wash dishes. And here's the thing about appliance repairmen. Generally speaking, Derek, do you know what they aren't very good at? I would guess uh, golf. Uh, well, fixing computers. Computers. They're very good at fixing appliances, but <laughs> turns out not computers. So I, I actually went and I called two or three different repair shops, appliance repair places, and I was like, what is the simplest, <laughs> the simplest, best dishwasher that you guys can recommend that just does nothing but wash dishes? Bosch was the yeah. one that came back. Bosch. It's like a German brand, I think. So I got this new dishwasher, Derek. It doesn't talk to Google. doesn't talk to Amazon. It can't download any fancy cycles that I'm never going to use anyway. It doesn't connect to the internet. It doesn't send me any notifications. It even, Derek, it has physical buttons. (laughs) But you know what it does? And this is like the most amazing. It's just brilliant in my opinion. Tell me. When the dishwasher is finished, it pops the door open. And when I wake up in the morning, all of my dishes are dry. And I didn't use any electricity to dry the dishes. Just good old-fashioned, crisp night air dries my dishes overnight. Isn't that amazing? 
Now I'm going to tell you a little story. It's just so smart. Like, it's so it's dumb, great. but it's so smart. It's it just great. blows my mind. Go ahead. Yeah. When we bought our dishwasher, I found out that it popped open when it was done. Yeah. And I was floored. And I was so Yours does that too? And mine does it too. Yes. I've never heard of that. What, what brand do you have? I think, uh, I, know, I think it might be an OG. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't know the brand. It's I wonder good. if it's Bosch. Anyway, it's yes, Bosch, it's yeah. just like, it's so smart. It's so simple. It's so smart. And like nothing, I don't even know that any Bosch dishwashers connect. I'm sure they have some stupid smart dishwasher that does connect. But like, it it just washes the dishes. That's it. That's all it does. All you need to do. And it's like all I want my dishwasher to do. So here's the thing. This is what my dishwasher taught me, Derek. A few things. Sometimes less is more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, Derek, smart is dumb. Mm. Sometimes, Derek, you don't you don't need all these stupid fancy features. You just need to solve the problem first. And then this is maybe just me. I don't know. Maybe some people are, are not like this. But I, I think users are more impressed by what you removed than what you actually added to your system. Interesting. Which I think ties into what we're going to talk about today. How do you like that? How do you like that, Derek? Damn. And I think the stuff that you think is impressive is probably useless to most people. I think that's my hypothesis. (laughs) I don't know. Do you find that to be the case? Less is more. I do. I do. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about something recently. Let me hear it. Perfection is something that we talk about you know, perfection is, is, is the enemy of the good enough. True. We talk about striving for, for, for perfection. We talk about perfection in a lot of different contexts. When uh, over the break, I had uh, a lot of idle time. And sometimes that leads to very bad things in my world. Uh, <laughs> sitting around, lots, lots, of, lots of chocolate, lots of uh, playing with my son's toys. Oh. But the he got some good ones. Nice. Um, the thing though that i was thinking about related to perfection is that we tend to build complicated systems often and sometimes they're overly complicated but sometimes they're just complicated enough and the people that asked for the software they get the software and they look at it and they use it and they say those are all the features that i asked for thank you mm-hmm And then they come back to you and they say, you know, wait, hold on, hold on. Now that I see it, oh, you know what I'd really like? I'd really like for that to be an accordion. Mm, Yep. And when I hit it, I want to play accordion sounds. Mm. Do that for me? And you're like, well, it's a single value and now you want it to be multiple values. You screwed my whole life up. Thanks a lot, you dummy. But maybe that was a list of users related to... Maybe a team, your team. But the code for that was all wrapped up in one big program. Mm. You know? And now you got to unwind it. You got to pull it apart. It's kind of hard to make something really complicated. One of these big Rube Goldberg machine monolithic systems. Perfect. But if I just asked you, hey, I need a list of all the members of your team. And that's all your system's going to do is manage your team. That's all I need. Is it? That's a not as crazy an ask, is it? No. I mean, that's something that you could conceive of doing. I think right. we've gotten to the place with software that we actually start working on the software before we could even conceive of how to do the work. Like we can't even imagine what it's going to be, and we start writing code. 
and it starts to become this waterfall of mess and you're patching on to incomplete ideas as you're writing code. People talk about testing first, writing tests before you write the code. Fascinating yeah. concept. That allows you to rethink how the thing's going to be used. And maybe even as you're going along and writing the test before the code's even written, you're playing the role of someone who's using that feature and you can make it simple for them. So that's where that test-driven approach stuff comes in. But when I think about perfection, Jeremy, I think about me. I'm kidding. I'm just going to think about me. Um, I think <laughs> about the simplest possible components when tested should be easy to understand. What do you think about that? I agree. And you've talked I'm hearing about you say a lot of stuff here, Derek, and my mind is just is going in a different bunch of different directions. But the first thing that I, I'm hearing you say is a lot of I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of the things you're talking about could be solved by working and partnering with the UX team. So you specifically called out something I think is really interesting. We're building this stuff without knowing what it's supposed to do. And here's the problem. Nobody asked why this thing needs to be built. What problem is this thing trying to solve? Right? And I think that's one of the things that a UX team, in theory, should be doing. It isn't just designing the interface so you know that it's going to be an accordion versus some other thingy. It's why does this thing exist? What do you actually need? Or what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And then someone says, ah, you need a list of employees. That should be this right. thing because we think this is most usable and intuitive or something, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So I think in that case, a lot of this problem, the perfection I think that you, maybe you're talking about perhaps is you're perfecting something. You, uh, the assumption is this result and I'm perfecting that assumption. And then I find out my assumption was wrong and it's no longer perfect. Is that kind of something like what you're thinking about? That is a part of it. Okay. Knowing, knowing your what problem you have to solve and the question, it's really a question you're trying to answer, right? I mean, mm -hmm. as a UX person, you're, ans you're finding all the right questions to ask. That's what mm -hmm. UX people, when the best ones I've ever worked with, best ones, Jeremy. Just FYI. What, what? It's Jeremy's best one. You're making me blush. When you were at your best, you figured out the best questions to ask. But that's not the end of it. Sure. See, this is not a skill that all researchers have because when you're researching, you're compiling information and you're trying to find out every little thing that's important. But then when you tie it back together and decide, okay, what are we actually going to build to solve this problem? Now you have to take a step back and realize that these are potentially more abstract components not exactly what they said. Like they told me they needed a list of team members. They told me they also needed a list of customers. They also told me they needed a list of this. So now you're thinking, okay, every person in the system, which is a core piece, maybe has an attributable list, but we don't know what all the different kinds of lists of you know associated people they're going to have. And so that needs to be built in a way where we can add them later. That kind of thing, right? You were good at this, not because of your research skills, but because of the design work that you would do, how you would design things very modular. And so someone in my position, which I think now I'm starting to realize why we worked well together, is because I could look at those things that looked modular and envision in my head how they could actually be modular mm. components. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned something I think is worth pointing out, like that's not where it ends. That's true. 
that's kind of where the engineering team picks up is that yeah. piece. And, and then and then it's sort of like a, a you know, a partnership, a process over time. And then you could work together as you're solving these things or figuring these things out to learn what good enough actually looks like versus perfect. You know, because perfect would be, oh, the other state, we have millions of dollars, millions of people, we have however many millions of hours to work in this thing. But in reality, there's a limited time, budget, resources, technical resources, personal resources, all these things. You have to figure out what is the ideal state, the good enough that we can do with these things, with this thing that we are trying to build in this amount of time. And that is a conversation. That's not a handoff. And I think a lot of times this this problem potentially arises with perfection when, you know, there's misunderstanding of the context or there's miscommunication or you or not you, but the engineer and the design team and the product team and the customers and the users don't all work together. And there's a series of handoffs in a game of telephone where someone interprets a thing a certain way and decides that was perfect, but that's not perfect for anyone else on the team. But no one else knows that. So I think that's the thing where it's like this idea of perfect is a conversation, right? Or maybe not the idea of perfect. The idea of good enough is a conversation, Mm. right? Like that's where we all have to decide together what is a perfect, what can we actually do, and what's good enough for right now? So that's interesting. I think when when I was talking about perfection, it wasn't in we we met all of their needs perfectly. Mm Mm-hmm. It was, how do we build this thing so that we build small enough mm. systems that we have the best chance possible of leaving zero bugs in our way? Oh, I see. I see. So, like, so, like, you think of the simplest possible program. Let's say, let's say, I was teaching you Java, okay, oh, or I was teaching you C Sharp or whatever, and I and I said, all right, we're just going to write a program. It's going to capitalize a letter. And you, you're so proud of yourself. You go and you put capitalize letter and you make it bigger and you, you loop through all the letters and you capitalize them. And then I put a number in. <gasps> I've broken your program. You, you that broke program. You broke it. That program wasn't meant to have numbers in it. Mm. And you even, you know, if you're looking at a system, you're, con- you're constantly looking at it as people are going to use it in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. And... You know, perfection. Uh, perfection is is just like it's it's this unreachable thing, but I yeah. think that it's something we always need to strive for when designing systems, and and reach for it, but understand that it is a specter. It is a ghost. It is not mm-hmm. something you can hold. Sure. Don't fight against someone who is being practical about a release timeline or or the customers need this software because of this specific reason mm-hmm. they they you know they they need this financial software because they have to get this done. Don't fight them because that's practical reality. But if you're not reaching for perfection as you're designing it, when you're in your safe space and thinking of all the ways it could go wrong, I don't know if you could consider that a success for you Hmm. you know what i mean like that's not good enough for an engineer yeah well you know here's the thing though i I think like it's maybe maybe your work is never good enough for you but does that matter i mean i guess it matters to some people but 
the outcome for a piece of software should be determined by a team or maybe not everybody on the team, but some some number of people on the team should be able to determine what the outcome of this thing should be. And when you say don't let perfect get in the way of the good enough, perfect would be in this case of the, the capitalized where you've got an input and it capitalizes a letter and it runs through every possible edge case I enter I enter a number, I enter a special character, I enter a character with an accent, I enter emoji, I enter blah, 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 like any permutation of characters that could be entered. Cycle through them all and only capitalize the actual letter. Mm -hmm. That could take you six months. It might take me 10 years. (laughs) But in that case, the outcome of this is, you know, I just want to be able to limit the input field to be only characters no numbers, no emojis. It won't let you input any of stuff. And all it's going to do is output a capital letter. That's good enough. Is it perfect? No. But the system blocks you from doing all the stuff that would break the Java code on the front end. The, the input field only allows A through Z. No special characters, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And in that case, that's good enough. That's all we needed. It's a conversation, though. That you know, Nobody would know that. As an engineer, you'd never know that if that wasn't established up front. And I think that's the challenge with most software teams. They don't communicate. That's the, it's the communication part. Because as we talk through things like this and you say, look, we're going to set up the front end. The only way to interface with the system through the front end, we're just going to limit them to characters. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to enter anything. It's not going to be a big deal. There's no reason to fight past that. There's other mm-hmm. bigger problems. Right. In this case, let's assume this is an industrial application mm-hmm. meant for the shop floor. Yes. And I'm inputting only uh, part numbers or something. And in that case, the part numbers always have a number and a capital letter. No emoji, no accents, (laughs) none of this other stuff. In that case, generally speaking, I will always be entering a number and a letter. And I might enter a lowercase a when I should have entered a capital capital A. And in this case, before it sends the, the text to the database, we want to capitalize the letter. That code may break if I enter an emoji. It may break if I enter a character with the thing or a special character, an exclamation point. But the likelihood of that happening is probably very low. So we are going to assume the risk of not checking it. Right Now you could have maybe usability, maybe a UX team decides we should have some kind of error thrown on the input that turns it red when you enter something. But if you were to hit enter and it goes to the database, it's just going to throw an error or something is going to come back and say we couldn't save the file or we couldn't save the thing. Now, there's usability issues there. You might want to say, well, let's block the user from submitting it. Maybe we disable the submit button and blah, blah, blah. But your code, to the backend code, never has to worry about those other things because it's not being sent, right? And so, or you could say we just don't spend the time to, to check it on the front end because no one's ever going to enter an emoji here. Like it's impossible for them to enter an emoji. We're not even going to check for it. Maybe not impossible, but you know what I mean. We're assuming that risk. It, it might happen one out of every million inputs or something mm-hmm. we're going to assume that risk but as an engineer building it and you don't know that you don't know that they're on a keyboard and there is no way to add an emoji or you don't know that they're not on their phone and they don't have a quick way to swipe left or whatever character whatever interaction to, to get to your emoji keyboard the likelihood of entering an emoji is very unlikely in that scenario but that engineer has no idea again conversation communication collaboration that's how the engineer knows that context and that use case that's why that's so important because the engineer could f- focus on that perfect, spend all that extra time 
when in reality it, it is super unlikely for that thing to have ever happened. I'm going to refine what I said. I still believe that reaching for perfection as an engineer is part of making a successful engineer, like a part of being successful. Mm -hmm. But there's more to it. Okay. It's reaching for perfection within the context mm, yeah. of the environment your system will be used in and the criticality of its use. So like it. now let's, let's pull it back. We're changing letters, but it's not on a sentence. This program changes letters in a DNA strand, and it's used by uh, a brand new program that modifies DNA at a very, very, very minute level to treat cancer. The level of perfection that is necessary for that system should be very clear and communicated and understood by everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Because if you mess that up, someone's growing a horn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway, that that's that's the extra bit I'd add to what I said before. Yeah. See, I love that. But that I, I think here again is where that assuming risk comes into play. Yeah. Because you are probably a lot less likely to assume any amount of risk when someone has the chance of growing a horn versus a database capturing the wrong code for part number or something when there's no not a very high likelihood you'd ever miss enter that number that is your pro, your team or, or stakeholders whomever is m probably more likely to assume that risk and say well if it happens it's not that big of a deal but in this case nobody <laughs> wants to assume the risk of someone potentially growing a horn yeah Look Look down the line, too. So it's not just about the system being used now within its context, but look down the line. Think of, think of the world five years from now, the system's been in use. All the different people who would have a reason to change the system mm -hmm. and the ways they may want to change it and the things that could happen in the environment, security updates, database moves, hey, we moved out of this data center, all these things that could happen experience is required to get to understand what all those could be but if you think about those those play a part not necessarily always in the use of the system because how it's used shouldn't change it should flex yeah. and when i talk about the simple simplest systems are easy to flex yeah, yeah. it's because they don't do very much Right, right, right. I could change. I could replace them. Make your systems replaceable, because the likelihood that someone's going to look at your code and say, "Wow, he's a genius," is so minuscule <laughs> yeah. that. Right. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the best coder in the world. I'm going to look at your code and say you used ifs incorrectly. Why are you using a for loop? You should have used a map. I'm like you dummy. Yeah, and and your and a lot of times. New concepts come into play, but great design and great architecture doesn't have to be a thing that is yeah. applied only by, you know, that that is something that constantly has to evolve because of new cool techniques, you know? Yeah. I think that keeping things small is the, is the, is the key. Well, I remember I, I was, must have been reading somewhere online recently, and I can't remember exactly the quote, but it was something like, you know, um, simpler isn't easy, right? And easy mm -hmm. isn't simple. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if you, if you write this thing to be simple, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that it was very easy to do. It's probably harder to do, right? A similar, yeah. there's another thing. If I had an hour to write this, or if I had longer to write this letter, it would have been shorter or something. Yeah. You know, some kind of thing. Or that was an Albert Einstein quote. If I had an hour to answer a question, I'd spend 45 minutes, you know, or if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 45 minutes asking questions, right? Same, similar yeah. kind of idea here. But simpler is not always easy. And, and when we rush and we try to get things done, it ends up being more complex. We just, you know, add crap on top, add crap on top, add crap on top, because that was the easiest thing to do, but it wasn't simplest. And I think in this case, you know, I, your, your idea of perfection, I think, is a little bit different from maybe what I would consider to be perfection in the design sense. I think in your mm -hmm. case, it's like perfection would be the simplest possible thing. The one line of code or something does one very specific thing, and I can reuse that thing everywhere to do that one specific thing. Whereas in the design world, maybe that perfection would be solves every use case, does it as fast as possible, least amount of clicks, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever metric you want to use there. But still, the idea, the principle is the same. To simplify that thing, that design, that interface is not going to be easy. To, to break it down to the bare minimum it requires validating, testing, research, iterating, all these things over time. It's not something you're going to do in you know some very quick amount of time. So... Again, don't let the perfect get in the way of good enough. What is good enough in this scenario? Well, and 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 that's a conversation you have to have. It isn't always something any one person can answer, I don't think. The thing about simplicity is it's not as easy to apply if you just read it out of a book. Simplicity to me is very much more about intuition. It's not something you necessarily know. Like you, you, you just you studied in a in a book. It's almost like when someone throws you a ball, what do you do? You put your hand up to catch it. Yeah. You know, uh, when you play basketball, um, and I've seen you go into the <laughs> legs, like you know, like so. When certain people play, I actually heard this recently that when you start to play basketball, what do you learn? You learn that the ball has to go in the hoop. So the game is simple, very simple. Now you have to start learning how to play it. So you learn to dribble under your legs, maybe, you know, you dribble and not, not get the ball knocked out of your hands. You learn to shoot, you learn shooting form, you know, like I was showing you, you know, um, arm's still sore, Derek. <laughs> so you learn that stuff, but then you get, you get pretty good and you go on a team maybe. And now your coach is teaching you all these schemes, your defensive schemes. When you go to shoot, you're not thinking about shooting anymore. That's something you've almost forgot you know. Yeah, it's, just, it's second nature. It's yeah. become intuition. Mm -hmm. And there are principles that you can apply. And I think principles are, are really dangerous sometimes, but they also are really helpful because mm -hmm. they can, they, you can trick your brain into thinking something terrible is or something dangerous really for the future of the organization or something is actually a good idea because you've never seen it before. You know, or something like that. It's some clever new way to solve a problem. Having those principles is good. But your intuition about simplicity is hard. It's hard to just have it. You kind of have to like build a lot of stuff and work with a lot of people to get there, you know? And that's, a, yeah. that's what, you know, when I worked with you, it was like the, the stuff we were building seemed complex. But after we started talking about it, I mean, we didn't go as far as to say a task is a task. task. Who would say that? <laughs> 
<laughs> Who would say that? What knucklehead would say that? So it's not you can't say a task is a task. But, but it got to the point where we started to understand that you know these were the variable parts of a process because we like mm -hmm. we would go to like multiple areas of a shop and realize what they yeah. were doing and right. I don't know I, I I think that there is a level of reaching for perfection on both sides. I think you're right, right though. I think like as always, it comes back to communication and collaboration between. Right. People of different well, backgrounds. Here's an example of, of how I think this is really important to collaborate and, and where this communication piece comes in. You use that example that we talked about with the task and, and all this stuff. So just for everybody out there listening, I was going to say watching, what we had was this idea of a component with a, this one set of many parts, and I need to action this thing. Each part has a separate list of actions that need to happen. I can claim them and be done and move on to the next part and things like that. There's one set of users that action the thing. There's another set of users that go back to look at the data historically. And what we started to do was design this interaction to go and, and design, or sorry, to go and, and action the part. So we had, we called it a job. It had a bunch of parts. Each part had a list of actions. Each action had, you know, some status. And what we started to do was then go and build the separate interface for the people to look at the historic stuff. Like, well, they need to see the job. They need to see the thing. They need to see what actions are taking. And over time, what we realized if we stepped back and started this probably from like a different place, because this was built a hodgepodge over time, we probably would have said the person actioning the thing and the person looking at the thing are doing the same thing. Yeah. Essentially, they're both finding jobs, finding parts, finding actions, and then they're looking either actioning it and saying, I did a thing, or they're looking to see who did it and when. There's not much difference between that step. So why are we building two completely different modules for essentially the exact same thing, right? Now, what was easy at the time was to go start over because you don't have to worry about the actions, the things, who has who has the ability to, to do a thing, who has the ability to select a part, blah, 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 and you go and build a separate thing. That is now messy. Now you've got two things. If I change the layout of one thing, I have to go back into the other section and change the layout of the other section because yep. we've decided to, or, you know, whereas if, if this was one homogenous thing that you could view and action, you change it once, it's it's ready for both sets of users. That's the that's that thing, though. We assume the risk of that, right? Like we said, well, we have only a certain amount of time to build it. If we wanted to do this, we'd have to, you know, feature flags and do all this stuff. It would be very complex. So we're going to build a separate feature. Mm-hmm. If we had thought about it from the very beginning and set it up that way, it would probably be a completely different story. But because we built this over time, we built this tech debt and we built this design debt that then forces us to have two separate things. But the team assumed that risk. And at the end of the day, it was good enough to go back and say, we're going to refactor everything just so that we're sharing this one thing from now on in perpetuity. In hindsight, would have never made a difference because the, the app got scrapped anyway. <laughs> So like focusing on that perfection would have just wasted yeah. more time and had no difference in the outcome. So hindsight's always twenty twenty, but then you've got this kind of like struggle between the developers wanting to build the perfect thing, sharing reuse and not having to have this tech debt versus what the business actually needs and what the users actually need. And in reality, and those two separate users, it doesn't matter if the interface is different because they're not the same person and they're not viewing it. They're never going back and forth. Yeah. So the fact that they're even there's this design debt is irrelevant. And you're, the design team's able to assume that risk because they're two separate users and they don't, it doesn't, they're never going to overlap. So there's that struggle, that constant struggle between, you know, but hindsight's twenty twenty. going back and looking at those conversations, you now, you, how do you know that thing's going to get scrapped? You don't, you just assume this thing's going to be in place for 20 years and you have to build it the best possible way 
but you know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, so it's always hard to to determine that. But anyway, it's just kind of an interesting example there. Mm. How do you go? I, I mean, who knows? I don't know what the proper answer is. I guess whatever works for the business in that moment in time is really <laughs> what what works. You know, whatever works works. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what would happen if you would have made a different decision, though. So, like, had mm-hmm. the team chosen a different route and had the thing not been canceled and mm-hmm. looking forward into the future, making it simpler earlier could have allowed other things to be built that we would have never even imagined because mm-hmm. we actually thought to simplify it earlier. But right. then there's also just the the idea of, like, look, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to build things that aren't right. And just you got to sometimes just yeah. live with the fact that you may you may want to go back. You can't see the future. You may want to go back and, and fix it and make it, you know, make those yeah. two things one thing. But anyway. So you know what I just thought of, though? Like looking back on that example that we talked about, right? You probably could have done a lot of work up front. Not you, but you, the, the you know, the team, you, we, whoever, could have gone and done some work up front to think about the data schema and how that relates to the physical set, set of parts and things and thought about who's looking at these parts. And we could have seen very easily that there are managers who are counting and tracking and there are people who are actioning and doing, they have the same physical set of parts. Yeah. Why are we building two separate things for what the team that does the physical work is doing with the same thing? You know, so I'm sure there could have been some like upfront work we could have done to establish that, to make that more well, logical, perhaps. I don't know. But what's interesting is like, if you think about this, perfection isn't just writing the code. When is, are we trying to perfect the planning? At what point is the planning good enough? At what point is the the plan good enough to go and execute? Like, could we spend more time mapping? Could we spend more time mm-hmm. designing versus doing? You know, and so it's interesting because the perfect there, it's like, what that is balance. perfect? And, and how do you know when it's perfect? Maybe, you know, it's it, like, maybe it's not perfect one way or the other. Maybe it's the perfect yeah. balance. And that's where we got it. I think it. that's we what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of interesting, though, to think about that. Because, like, if you had gone back, I'm sure you could have caught that problem with the two different interfaces by thinking about the data. You know, a data yeah. represents a physical thing. We don't have two identical things of the physical thing. Why would we have, why would we have two well, database objects with a similar thing? So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not an architect, uh, a software architect and, and all that stuff. So that's kind of over my head. But I don't know. I, I'm just thinking about like, when do you, when do you say pr- this, this planning is good enough? When do you say this research is good enough? You know, it's hard to say. Well, you In hindsight, it's get, easy to say. You but. get two people, you get like me and you working on it and another UX person, another architect working on it. You come up with a result. Results can be like completely different. Sure. Yeah. You know? Different, right. different strategy, different this, different order, different everything. So I think the thing that I wanted to get across here is that when you're looking for people to work with, to trust, to believe in, their intuition, when it is, when it build, when it designs something that's clear, simple, makes sense, when you build it together, you can tear it apart and put it back together in a different way, mm-hmm. it solves the problem they're speaking the customer's words. They're also speaking the words of the engineer. You got that nice mix. You can go build something great, I think. I agree. And that's that's the you. story. Yeah. So that's the moral of the story. Or hire Jeremy and I. We'll come. <laughs> oh, as long as they pay me double what I make now, Derek. I'm. I'm that's I'm it. There. Yeah. It's called the double rule. <laughs> the Jeremy's double rule. Double rule. Yeah, you want me to leave? Uh, just, uh, you know. By the way, Derek, I don't know if I told you this. Uh, we talk a lot about all the shop floor stuff, you and I, and uh, yeah. we always used to do it back in the day. I got news this past week that I am going back to 
the shop work to work back. I, in the shop, so. Yeah, that's great news. I'm pretty stoked about that. So I might I might be doing some more travel to the shop. So I'm pretty stoked about that. So chop uh, it up, chop chop. Budapest, here I come, baby. Woo! All so, right. Why don't you take don't, us home? Don't tell me. Take us home. Does that mean? Oh, the outro stuff. <laughs> yeah, do the outro. <laughs> I think that's it for us for today, Derek. You got anything else? I'm good, baby. I'm good. All right. Well, everybody out there, make sure to check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers. RetroTime. Was it? Oh, my God. It's been so long, Derek. <laughs> RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Also, don't forget, you leave a five-star review. And that means also not just a five-star rating. That means a couple sentences. You you do that. Derek and I will write you a song. RetroTimePodcast.com slash reviews to check out all those review jams. That's it for me for today, Derek. I'm done. Take it easy. There's always selling our body, you know. I mean, yep. we I've we got working that. out. We don't. We both have small hands, so it's like we can use that to our advantage. Some, That's somehow. true. Little, yeah. little tiny hands. Little tiny hands. You know what though? You know what though? Doesn't it feel better now? That you know that someone you know has the same size hands as you. Doesn't it make you feel better. <laughs> it makes me feel it real makes good. Makes me feel better. <laughs>